Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever. I am. The words of Fanny Crosby. Redemption is a theme of many a hymn and also the subject of many a sermon. But how does Christ redeem? And what qualifies him to be a redeemer? And I think I can do no better than develop the answer that was given by the Westminster Divines when in framing an answer to the question, what office does Christ execute as our Redeemer? Answered this way, Christ as our Redeemer executes the offices of a prophet, a priest, and a king, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. That's a question, question number 23 in the Shorter Catechism. For those of you, a little bit of history, the Westminster Divines gathered around uh, uh, 1634, something of that nature, 43, and they formed probably one of the greatest statements of faith the church has had, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And in order to understand that, they developed what was known as the larger catechism, because that seemed to be a bit too, too weighty for ordinary people. They, they summarized it under the shorter catechism, and it was set in the framework of question and answer, question and answer. And if you were, like myself, brought up in a Presbyterian church, and as a child you were taught the catechism, question and answer. And so what I've just given to you is the question and answer of question 23 in the shorter catechism. To understand what these men were saying, we need to understand, of course, something of the, the terminology that uh, they employed. When they talk about the offices of Christ, that word simply means the position, the role, the, the post that Christ possessed. You know, for example, Mr. Albanese holds the office of prime minister. That's his role, that's his post, that's his place. So we're speaking about the roles that Christ fulfilled. And then it speaks about Christ's humiliation. And that, of course, points to Christ becoming man, his lowly birth, his lifestyle, and his journey to the cross. The words of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so when we speak about his humiliation, we're speaking about the very life of Christ. But then that statement also spoke about his exaltation. And his exaltation points us to the, the very coronation 
of Christ. The ninth verse of Philippians chapter 2, God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Or as Peter puts it in, second, in, P, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 33, being therefore by the right hand of God exalted. So he has the office, the role of prophet, priest, and king, both in his life here on earth and also in heaven in his exaltation. The term redeemer or redemption will, I trust, become clear as we work through these studies during this weekend. But suffice for now to see it in relationship to some other particular theological terms that we do find in the Bible. Uh, we, we come across the word sacrifice. And sacrifice deals, as it were, with the element of our guilt of sin. And then we have propitiation. We had it in our scripture reading this morning when we came together for prayer in 1 John 2. Propitiation that uh, deals with the element of God's wrath upon sin. And then we read of reconciliation, which deals with the element of our alienation from God because of sin and the need to be reconciled, brought back to God. And then redemption itself deals with the element of our bondage from sin, our being set free, the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. And each, each of these terms reveals something of the, the wonder of our so great salvation. The great English Puritan John Flavel, or Flavel, whichever school you went to, uh, he said in writing of salvation as it relates to prophet, priest, and king, he says, and I quote, Salvation is revealed by Christ as prophet, procured by him as priest, and applied by him as king. What he revealed and purchased, he applied. Now, before we come to consider each of these offices separately, this morning we will come on a moment or so to look at a prophet, this afternoon the priest, and Lord willing, tomorrow morning the king. There are two introductory uh, uh, sentences, as it were, or explanations before we come to the, the actual titles themselves. And if you thought you were coming to camp to have fun and just relax and snooze through a little emotional devotional, I'm sorry, folks, you're here to think. Uh, we need to think. You don't leave your brains outside the door of the church when you come in. You come to think about the great things of God. And so we consider the splendor of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. The splendor, the first of two clarification statements I want to give you. The splendor of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. You see, for, for, for the sake of clarity, 
for the sake of consideration in our time together, we, we will divide up these offices, these roles of prophet, priest, and king. But in fact, in Christ Jesus, they are not divisible. In Christ, there is the perfect blending of these three offices. That is, you, you do not find that one day Christ acts as a prophet, and then another day he acts as a priest, and then another occasion he, he puts on the, the garments of a king. No. Christ at all times is never less than prophet, priest, and king. Because here is something of the, the majesty and the splendor and the uniqueness of our Lord. Because we must realize that it was, it was wonderful to be a prophet like Moses. And it was wonderful to be a priest like Aaron. And it was wonderful to be a king like David. They were mere men. And if I can be so bold, relatively speaking, Moses was just a prophet, and Aaron just a priest, and David just a king. But in Christ Jesus, we see these three offices being carried out perfectly each role, each responsibility, discharged with the glorious properties of his divine and human nature in accordance with the divine will. He is the perfect priest. He is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect king. There is the splendor of those offices in Christ Jesus. And then the second thing I would put, is the significance of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. You see, why did the Westminster divines, and before them John Calvin, bring the threefold office of Christ into prominence? Well, to put it simply, without these offices, these roles being fulfilled, there would be no salvation. There would be no gospel. There would be no relationship with God. By means of these offices, Christ meets our needs. As prophet, he deals with the problem of our spiritual blindness. As priest, he deals with the problem of our sinful behavior. And as king, he deals with the problem of our sinful bias. As another has put it, ignorance is healed by his prophetic office, guilt by his priestly office, and tyranny by his kingly office. Thus the threefold cure to our fatal disease. Well, let me 
put all that again in another way, in another light. Christ speaks to our mind as a prophet. That's the intellectual element. He satisfies our hearts as priest. That's the emotional element. And then he subdues our will as king. And that's the volitional element. Each office is significant and essential to our salvation. For as prophet, Jesus reveals God to us. As priest, Jesus redeems us. And as king, Jesus reigns over us. So there is the splendor and the significance of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. But now given all of that, what was the office, the role of a prophet? This is the first major thing to consider. What is a prophet? Let me give you three features of a prophet. And the first is this. They were servants of God. Three S's. The first, they were servants of God. If you're taking notes and you want a text, Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 25 is an example. Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 25. And I quote, From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, my servants, the prophets, to them day by day. A prophet was a servant of God. Number two, they were sent by God. They were sent by God. Jeremiah refers to this. I have persistently sent all my servants. Or if you go to Second Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 19, they abandoned the house of the Lord, yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. They are servants of God. They are sent by God. And the third S, they spoke the very words of God. They spoke the very words of God. When they proclaimed, and you get it constantly through the Old Testament, thus says the Lord, they meant exactly that. Thus says the Lord. Alec Mortier, uh, a, a great Old Testament scholar, sorry, he's an Irishman, but uh, uh, from the South, but he was a great scholar, and he put it this way. And if you see any books by Alec Mortier, get it, read them. Uh, they're precious. He said this, talking of the prophets, their words were precisely the words the Lord himself would have used 
if he had spoken in person instead of by the prophets. So Christ is speaking, God is speaking through his prophets. So their servants sent to speak the word of God. That's their features. Their function, what was the function of a prophet? Well, this time, do take your Bibles. I've written out some for myself to make it easier for me, but I'm going to the book of uh, Exodus chapter 4. The book of Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. So here's the picture. After complaining and talking to God and making excuses, God says, okay, here's Aaron. You are going to be like God to Aaron. I'm going to give you my word, but you put your words that I give you into Aaron's mouth, and Aaron shall speak for you. What you need to glean from this portion are two things that are vital in the ministry and in the functions of a prophet. Two words that are repeated, speech and mouth. Speech and mouth. Because what was a prophet but God's mouthpiece? God would put his words into their mouths. Prophets did not have, as it were, some emotional, ecstatic experience and then think this is what God had given them to say. No, no, God put his word in their mouth so that they spoke the very word of God. Exodus 24.3 says, God told all the words the Lord had spoken. So, over a few pages to our scripture reading, Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you say, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I don't miss it. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Words and mouth. If you don't obey the prophet, it's akin to not obeying the Lord. Not to listen to the prophet is not to listen to God. And this relationship between prophet and words and mouth is surely illustrated. I won't take the time, but read Jeremiah chapter 1 in verses 4 to 9, where God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet. And how does Jeremiah immediately respond? He says, I cannot speak. Because Jeremiah knew that the role of a prophet is to speak. And God says, Jeremiah, I will put my words in your mouth. Fear not, I will put my words in your mouth. And this function of being God's mouthpiece is seen in instances such as you get in 1 Kings 21 where Elijah speaks of the work of God. And when that particular text is quoted in 2 Kings, there's absolutely no reference to Elijah. The reference is to God himself. Because Elijah was simply speaking the words that God had put in his mouth. And the implication, my friends, of all of that is to point to the absolute divine authority of the prophet's words. That prophecy did not come by uh, or be produced by the will of man. But Peter says in 2 Peter 2.21, But men spake from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here is the, the, the features and the functions of a prophet. So now look at Christ in light of those features and those functions. We've looked at a prophet. What about Christ the prophet? You have your Bible. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. 3 and verse 17. Acts chapter 3 and verse 17. I'm reading from verse 17 down to verse 23. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, 
and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Sound familiar? It's our Bible read. It's a quotation from Deuteronomy 18. The promised prophet, who was it? It was Christ. Christ who came. And he came to be the prophet of God. Sent a servant speaking the words of God. Was Christ God's servant? Well, we're told in verse 26, God having raised up his servant. And Christ's servanthood is clearly portrayed for us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, where he says, Here I am, I have come to do your will, O my God. I'm your servant. I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He is God's servant. Was Christ sent by God? That missionary text of John 20 and verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Sent by the Father. The words of John 5 and verse 30. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So as far as his features... He's the servant of God. He's been sent by God. Were therefore the words of Christ the words of God? Where did his words originate? John chapter 3 and verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. You go over to John 8, 26. He who sent me is, the, is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Or again in chapter 8 and verse 28. I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And so Peter rightly applies the words of Deuteronomy to Christ with this warning. Every soul who does not listen to the prophet, and who's the prophet? Christ. He who does not listen to Christ shall be destroyed. He is the prophet speaking the word of God. 
So when we look at Christ, he perfectly fulfilled the, the features and the functions, not only as a prophet, but the promised prophet of God who was to come. So then, how did Christ execute the office of a prophet? I'll give you three things. How did Christ execute the office as a prophet? We've seen by features and by function he's a true prophet. So how does he fulfill that role? First of all, by means of his incarnation. By means of his incarnation, his very person made known God. He was, as the writer of the Hebrew put it, the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. So that he alone could say, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So that in Christ alone we behold all the divine excellencies. And thus in answer to Philip's question, Lord, show us the Father our Lord could reply, Have I been so long time with you, Philip, and yet have you not known me? In Christ, the eternal word became the living word. The word of God was fleshed out before the eyes of a watching world. And like no other before him, he who in his being in heaven, left the glories above and yet brought to earth something of that, the essence, as it were, of the divine nature. So that whilst in my generation that day occurred when and I was a student at Bible college, everything stopped and we watched man walk on the moon. The amazing thing is God has walked on the earth in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. For in him, says Paul, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Incarnation. But then secondly, he executes his role as a prophet by means of his instructions. His instructions. For how did he speak? And what did he say? What were the words of his mouth? For remember what Peter says and recorded in Acts 3, listen to him, listen to whatever he says. So how did he speak? He spoke plainly. He spoke plainly. He brought great truths down to the level of the common man so that they, the ordinary people, Delighted to hear him speak, and they said he spoke as one with authority. The people listened to him gladly. He spoke powerfully, as I said, as one who had authority and not as the scribes. His words were quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. He spoke pastorally. He did not break a bruised reed or quench the floating flax. He spoke words in season to weary souls. 
He gathered the lambs with his arms, and he gently led those who were with young. He spoke personally. The ruler that came to Jesus by night heard these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And he spoke personally to that rich young ruler who asked him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus spoke and answered him, Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So he speaks plainly, he spoke powerfully, he spoke pastorally, he spoke personally, he spoke prophetically. You only have to read Matthew chapter 24. And he spoke about things that were to come. And he spoke pointedly. Matthew 23, and the reoccurring words of Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites and blind guides. And the words of John 8, You're of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So in such ways that he gave his instructions to, to the people. And what was, what was Jesus' message and mercy? Well, our Lord's ministry as prophet not only was revealed in his incarnation and his words of instruction, but in addition, he executed the office as prophet by means of his illumination. Illumination. Because, you see, as a result of sin... The Bible says that our minds have become darkened. We no longer recognize God for who and what He is. We believe lies and suppress the truth. We are blind spiritually, so we do not see. And so Christ the prophet came to make known to us the truth concerning God and ourselves and salvation. He gave sight to the outwardly physically blind, but he also gave sight to the inwardly spiritually blind. And that was a major part of his work as a prophet. His revelation of truth from God and his illumination of the things of God. Come with me to the incident in the life of the disciples, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. Luke 24, 44. And Jesus said to them, here's the resurrected Christ with his disciples. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds 
to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. What's happening here? Well, these, these disciples, they had heard the message concerning the Christ from the very lips of Christ. They had heard with their own ears the message of God. But what had been their condition when he had spoken to them? Because the reference back in verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. Turn back to chapter 18 of Luke. You get the context. Chapter 18 and verse 34. Or you can take it really from verse 32. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. So in chapter 18, Christ ministers the word as prophet to their physical ear. But now in chapter 24, he doesn't give them a new message as the old story, but as a new ministry. He ministers now to their minds. He opens the eyes of their understanding so that they now see and grasp and comprehend the truth. He grants to them spiritual sight. And that's what you find throughout Scripture. For the point the Scripture makes is that spiritual truths need spiritual understanding. And this is the ministry of Christ today as he continues as a prophet today. Because what is he doing today? What he did in his own day. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, is an introduction that Christ continues his role by means of his Spirit. The Spirit of God today illuminates our minds so that we understand the message. Christ continues his prophet today by means of his Spirit and his Word to bring men and women to a knowledge of the truth. This is how he exercises his office in his exaltation, by means of his word and spirit. And that's why Paul, when he wrote to those at Thessalonica, said, Our gospel came to you not only in word. Now, it came in word. There was language, there was speech, there were phrases, there, were, there was terminology. But he said it just didn't come in word only, but it also came in power of the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. The Word and the Spirit bringing clarity to the mind so that we understand the words of the prophet. He executed his role, his office as a prophet, 
by means of his incarnation, by means of his instruction, by means of his illumination. So what does that all mean to us? Well, let me give this to you and we're done. Surely it ought to impact our devotion. You see, if a mark of a true follower of Jesus is, as Deuteronomy puts it and Peter records it in Acts 3, to listen to that prophet, and listening is just not doing what I trust you're doing right this moment, hearing my voice, but it is trusting and obeying and hearing and heeding and reading and learning and meditating upon the prophet's words. To listen to the prophet is to take them and weigh them and ponder them and meditate upon them and let them be part of you. It's our total devotion to the Word of God. And so I wonder how we're measuring up. If he is our true prophet, if he still speaks today by his Spirit through his Word, Are we those who are listening? Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. Wasn't it John Bunyan who said, God's word will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from God's word. So, how do we value this book? How do we value what God has been pleased to give to us that we might learn of Him and enjoy Him forever? Our devotion. And it should therefore be our delight. For what does Christ the prophet proclaim in this word given by His Spirit? Well, surely there is not a need that He cannot supply. And there's not a problem we face that he cannot solve. And there's not a danger to which we're exposed that he cannot save us from. He is the all-sufficient Christ. He's the one that we're directed to look to and lean upon, and love. A delight, oh how I delight in your word, the first psalm. Meditate upon it, day and night. It's our devotion, and challenges our delight. And then to finish, it touches upon our destiny. Our destiny. Listen again to the words of Acts 3, 23. Every soul who does not listen, and that is trust, lean on, obey that prophet, shall be destroyed from the people. The words of Christ have that wit and that authority. A stern warning, a clear-cut word. 
if you're not listening, leaning on, looking to, trusting in, believing in Christ, if you're not taking heed to his word, then you will perish. Simple and awful as that. So I wonder if that's you this morning. My dear fellow campers, it is Christ alone who can cure our spiritual blindness. It is Christ alone who can save us from the wrath to come. It is Christ alone who said to the blind and to the burdened, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And so I urge you this morning, if you know not this prophet, if you're not listening to his voice, if you're not heeding his word, then seek him with all of your heart and pray to him for that which no one else can ever give you. We need Christ as our prophet to reveal God's word to us, to eliminate, to, rather to illuminate our understanding so that we may cling and claim God's word. For without this prophet, we're still in ignorance. We're still blind. So I started with Fanny Crosby's little hymn. I wonder if you could say it with me. Redeemed? Oh, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child. And forever I am. Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand Help us to take it in. Enable us, O oh God, in your mercy to see as we've never seen before or to hear what we've never heard really before. I'm sure there are some here in this room who, like myself, grew up in church and Sunday school and taught catechism and everything else and went on for years. And probably heard the gospel time and time again. But then that day came when I understood it. And I saw it that I'd, like I'd never seen before. Your spirit and mercy came by the work of Christ opened eyes. Do it today, O oh God, we pray of you. That we may not fail to trust and obey the words of the prophet. Hear us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen.